I'm Tiagi Lisa, and this is Nayaswami Devarshi, and we're happy to be here offering Sunday service this morning. So we'll start with a reading from Rays of the One Light by Swami Kriyananda. The topic, How High Should We Aspire? Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramhansa Yogananda. The passage this week is from the Gospel of St. Matthew, chapter 5. I say unto you, that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. The easiest explanation for these words is that they were spoken in criticism of the scribes and Pharisees, particularly since Jesus was often verbally attacked by them and stood up to them fearlessly. However, it wouldn't have been much of a challenge to the disciples who aspired to spiritual perfection to tell them, don't be like those who lack any such aspiration. Jesus, in fact, says only a few verses later, be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. What Jesus was referring to here then was the self-righteousness of the priests, Don't seek perfection, he was saying to his disciples, in the image you project toward others. Don't be satisfied with a goodness born merely of ego definitions. The highest virtue is to transcend the very thought of personal virtue in the realization of God alone as the doer. Before this realization, even the thought, I am kind or I am truthful, is self-limiting. As it says in the Bhagavad Gita, the seventh chapter, Yet hard the wise Mahatma is to find, that man who saith, all is Vasudev. Thus through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. I'd also like to welcome everyone to this beautiful spring day at Ananda Village. This is from Whispers from Eternity by Paramhansa Yogananda. Cosmic salutation inspired by the Bhagavad Gita. O Spirit, I bow to thee in front of me, behind me, on the left and on the right. I bow to thee above and beneath. I bow to thee all around me. I bow to thee within and without. I bow to thee everywhere, for thou art everywhere. Om. Amen. This reading and this topic today, How High Should We Aspire, is answered at the very last and very beautiful phrase in that reading from the Bhagavad Gita, which is, all is Vasudev. Vasudev is a name of God, and so it's essentially, and it is saying, all is God. And it means not just all around us. I think you could also say all are God. It's not just is, but it is are because we are all, everything is. And when we recognize that, that's essentially defines when we become free of our limitation, our suffering. 
And so the teachings of yoga essentially describe the path to reach that point. I had an experience these last few weeks that not only highlighted the truth of this, but also it highlighted in a way the way out, the way to find that spiritual perfection and the way to recognize that all is Vasudev and that all are Vasudev, including each and every one of us. A few weeks ago, I got a message that a brother of mine was wanting to see me. And he'd been suffering from cancer for a few years, and he was finally in his last days. And he especially wanted to see me because he wanted to learn some meditation after all these years at the very end of his life. Because as he put it, he had a little bit of anxiety about leaving the body. And he had never shown any interest in these things. And just to explain our conversation, we weren't close growing up. He was much older than me, so we weren't, didn't have the usual emotional and sentimental sibling attachments, and we were more like acquaintances and friends over the years. And I, of course, wanted to help him, and so I went, drove to the hospital in San Francisco to see him. And I just very simply, I taught him the Hong Sa technique of meditation, which is, we consider it a beginning technique, or some people do, but it's actually a very powerful and advanced technique on the spiritual path. It is part of what we practice here. It's the path of Kriya Yoga. And it was interesting, our conversation, because he had led a, a very, he had had a, a challenging, rough and tumble life, and he had achieved great victories in his life. He had overcome a lot. I think that his wanting meditation was sort of maybe a prelude to his next life, and that he wasn't supposed to do it until the very end. Regardless, we had just a very beautiful conversation. He was very, very free. He had done a good job with his life and earned some real spiritual victories. And he was, you know, his body was wasted away. And it was interesting to see, because when you see that when the body starts to waste away, the personality starts to go, and you start to see, and you look at someone who you thought you knew, and you realize when you look at them that all is Vasudev, because there's no longer the filter of personality between you and the light shining within that person. It also goes the other way. When we identify with our little self, with our personality, there's also a filter blocking us from seeing God uh, everywhere throughout this universe, because we're seeing with and through our personality and our littleness and our desires and our emotions. And so it was very, actually a very inspiring conversation. It was like two old friends talking about one of them going on a long journey and talking about what to pack with him and what to leave behind. And the only thing he was interested in packing the suitcase was the Hong Sao technique of meditation and learning to do that. And in fact, uh, it was very interesting to see because I've never seen anyone pick up that technique so quickly. I only gave him the general outline of it because I didn't want to overwhelm him with details because I knew that within days he wouldn't be so lucid. And as we were talking, there were times of silence where suddenly his, we would be silent for a few minutes. His eyes would be half open and his eyes would be locked up at the spiritual eye, just totally still. He was just completely inward and upward. And again, I think he was able to do that very simply because the personality was starting to be stripped away. And it's a good lesson for all of us when we practice meditation 
Don't think that I am practicing meditation and oh, I'm trying to overcome this and that. And don't define yourself by what you see in the mirror every morning. I have to confess that when I wake up in the morning and I brush my teeth and look in the mirror, the very last thought in my mind is, all is Vasudev. <laughs> but, you know, it would be good for us to overcome that thought. There's, there's a beautiful tradition in India where people pronoun to each other and say, Namaste, I bow to the light within you. And it's very easy at times to see the light in others, but again, when we look in the mirror in the morning, I, would, I don't know if I'm going out on a limb by recommending this at a practice, but when you look at yourself in the mirror, pronoun and look at the light within yourself because it is equally within you as it is within everyone around you. And so my brother learned Hong Sao and just within five days he was in a coma. But again, the very last phone call I believe that he made was to another brother of mine who practices these things and he was asking him more questions about Hong Sao. He realized that this... And it wasn't out of a sense of desperation. It was just a sense of joyful adventure about what the next step on this incredible adventure of life and death, and it never really ends. And he was just really uh, like a child looking forward to this incredible thing that was about to happen. And so I spent a few hours with him, just the very last hours of his life. And again, looking at this soul, it was very beautiful. We meditated, and then, you know, he was in a coma, and, but you could see that there was just the soul there. Everything was stripped away. The personality, the attachment to this world, there was such a sense of divine freedom. And then within hours, he had left the body. And so this tells us, one, that we are the infinite light, that when we strip away all this littleness, all this pettiness, all these restless thoughts, and again, emotions and personality, we are that light. But this story also shows how we get out. The Hong Sa technique, again, very simple. But the words Hong Sa essentially mean I am spirit. And again, it's essentially saying all is Vasudev, within me, around me, everywhere. And by affirming that, I am spirit. It's interesting because we, somehow we forget this. We practice, many of us here practice Hong Sa for quite a long time, perhaps every day. And essentially we're affirming over and over and over again, I am spirit, I am spirit. And then we, again, we look in the mirror and start brushing our teeth and we start doing the opposite affirmation because we don't look like spirit when we look at it up close. But really it's a hypnosis is what it is. We don't have to wait until it's all stripped away from us. We're really, you know, the, the yogis teach us this, that really we've just been hypnotized into thinking that we are separate from God. Yogananda defined self-realization. He said, self-realization is the knowing uh, in all parts of body, mind, and soul that you are now in possession of the kingdom of God, that God's omnipresence is your omnipresence, and all you need is to improve your knowing. In that last sentence, all you need is to improve your knowing. It's so simple. The spiritual path can almost be condensed into that statement that all we need to do is improve your knowing. And this is why a simple technique on the path of Kriya like Hong Sa, I am spirit. With your breath and with the vibration of these sounds, you offer yourselves up into spirit with each single breath. And this again is the path of Kriya Yoga. This is why 
the path of Kriya is such a beautiful spiritual path because it goes to the very essence of this truth. People sometimes think that the Kriya technique is sort of a, a magical technique that if you just tick off a million Kriyas in this lifetime, you eventually become fully liberated. And it doesn't really work like that. It's not a step-by-step process of doing so many of these particular techniques and then finally, you know, the Hallelujah Chorus starts going off and you become free. It's really, Yogananda actually, he said, he said, the Kriya Yogi becomes liberated, he said, often after three years, six years, 12 years, 24 years, and 48 years. He would have said 96 years, but I think most people don't live that long where they can do Kriya for 96 years. But he said that it depends on your intensity of concentration and depth when you practice. It doesn't depend on ticking off a million of them in a mechanical way. And so it can be instantaneous if you do it with that intensity and depth. And I saw that, with again, with my brother, that he had intensity and depth, and he went very, very deep, very quickly and very suddenly. The way that Kriya works more than... Again, taking off you know spiritual progress step by step is that over time, Kriya takes us to the very core of our being, deep the deepest part of ourselves, where as we practice Kriya more and more deeply, we start to get in touch with that deepest part of ourself, which is that part that is one with the infinite that is already free. And so as we practice meditation, do it with this affirmation that you are already free. This is uh, so many of our teachings, when you start looking at it over and over and over again, we repeat this same truth that you are free. And when we practice meditation with that thought, not with the thought that, oh, this is so hard, I'm so restless, I have this you know, limitation in this personality, but with this very simple thought that we, all we have to do is to improve our knowing And this is how you practice Kriya Yoga. This is how you practice this very simple but very effective Hong Sao technique of meditation. And you very, very, very quickly make spiritual progress when you practice these things in that way. The other way that Kriya works is that Swami Kriyananda, in his interpretation of this particular stanza that we just read uh, from his book, Essence of the Bhagavad Gita, he said he describes Kriya in the way that many of us are also familiar with it, where it's like an inward fire ceremony. He said very simply, it's offering up our littleness into the divine light, into the infinite grace. And when our littleness is offered up into that light, it gets burned up. And every time we practice the Kriya technique or Hong Sa or any of these things, essentially what happens is that our littleness and our separation is dissolved. But we don't have to do it just during meditation. One of the things that Swami Kriyananda has been so delightful to watch over the years is that he doesn't act to impress other people, like the reading, like the scribes and the Pharisees. In fact, one time I came in on the middle of a very interesting conversation that he was having with someone, and he said very clearly, he said that he never acts and has never acted in his life just to be an example to other people. He acts from the inside out. And essentially, he says to practice Kriya Yoga from the inside out, not as mechanical practice, but as something that's deep within ourselves. And when we live our lives from the inside out, 
we start to find that we start living in divine grace, we start living in this sense of freedom, and then our actions start to express that same divine freedom rather than trying to change our behavior and our actions. This is what it means to live, again, from the inside out. And so this fire ceremony component of these inner practices, in his uh, commentary in the Bhagavad Gita, Swami Kriyananda also says that every single breath, every moment in your life can be this inward fire ceremony. This is the way he puts it in that book. He says, this ritual, he's talking about this inner fire ceremony, can be performed inwardly and constantly by the mind. This inner fire ceremony can be performed instantly and constantly by the mind. And essentially, he explains that every time we have a thought of separation of, oh, look at what I did, or in the negative way, oh, look how this person hurt me, or, oh, what a bad person I am. If every time we have one of those thoughts, we offer up in this inner fire ceremony to the spiritual eye, to God with devotion, with love, with self-offering, we start to dissolve this separation between us and the infinite that is already there within us. The way that we do this is not so much in the details. It's in the big picture, like I've been talking about. It was very delightful to watch, and this really describes the quickest way to go deep in meditation and spiritual practices. Many of us watched this six-week series on how to deepen your meditation that was part of the online with Ananda during the last six weeks. And on Thursday night, it was a panel of four speakers from different uh, eras of Ananda, I guess you could say, different uh, length of experience on the spiritual path. But it was delightful to see that they all had the same inner understanding because they had all come to the same conclusion. And at the end, the question was asked, well, what is the one most important secret to having deep meditation? And Ananta, one of our longtime Ananda ministers, said, devotion. Maria, his wife, said, devotion. And people started laughing because the third person, Indra, said, devotion. And finally, Kalamali expressed it very wonderfully. She said, well, you know, I've actually given a lot of thought to this. And the answer is devotion. (laughs) It's the truth. Because what we love and what we express devotion to, we start to become like. You see these pictures of people with their dogs and how they start looking like their dogs (laughs) over time. And it's the same if we are devoted to God in a particular aspect, we start to become like that. In India, it's very interesting because devotion, the American, the traditional American concept of devotion, which I think is different from that at Ananda, is actually very different from the usual word that's used in India, which is bhakti. And they actually have really, really different meanings that is really important to understand the difference, which is that devotion, it just doesn't imply, but it does mean being devoted or loving, expressing devotion to something. So there's always a separateness. It's expressing devotion to God, expressing devotion to Divine Mother. And for some people, it's expressing devotion to chocolate or some other thing that you're very, very attracted to. The word bhakti in India actually has a very different meaning. It means the, the root word, the literal translation is to partake, to possess, to participate. And it's much more 
inclusive, and it takes it beyond this I and thou and beyond any sense of separation and into that sense of deep inner communion, which brings us to union with God. And so when we practice meditation, when we practice devotion, practice it with this sense that we are not separate from God. It's not us loving that or expressing devotion to something. It's us partaking in and being one with and merging in and experiencing our oneness. And when we start to see that oneness in deep meditation, again, that filter of personality, of separateness, dissolves away. And this really is how we start to see in ourselves, in everything, in everything that we do, that all is Vasudev. In these practices, these yoga teachings, these great principles that these great masters gave us will take us there in an instant if we practice it with that sense of deep bhakti, deep devotion, and with the intensity and concentration. We don't have to wait many, many years. We don't have to wait to the end of life. We can have it right now if we practice it with that sense of depth. So let's take these practices, these teachings, deeply into our lives and the blessings of God and our masters with us.